Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com. And now, here's this week's sermon. Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to the first psalm. The first psalm at the beginning. Uh, just go open your Bible right in the middle. I promise you it'll open in psalms and then we'll go from there. If you're visiting Christ Church, my name's Mark and we're glad to have you on this holiday weekend. And if you're visiting family and you're staying in town for a couple of days, uh, we're glad you're worshiping Jesus with us and we want to welcome you. Uh, I, I get to be one of the uh, ministers here on staff and it's uh, quite a privilege and, and uh, just enjoy what God's doing and what he's teaching us. Now, for most of us, People have been in our homes or you've been in someone else's home. And so what I want to challenge is before you say, I just want to get back to my routine, don't. Let's change our routines. Let's look at today as a day to make a change. Not because you're bad, but because it's just time. It's time to do something a little bit different. We have been talking about a passage in 2 Corinthians since September when we started our Corrective Lens series about worldview. And that passage says in 2 Corinthians 10.5, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God, and we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. How do we do that? We've talked about the issues that have been presented, our sexuality, our work, life's balance, the challenges of truth, where do we find truth? We discussed that in September and October, and then in November we talked about our opportunity to invest what God's doing into others to make a difference in the kingdom. Today I want to talk to you about how do you take every thought captive? How do we do that well? How is that sustainable? But I want to begin by saying that we live in an either-or world, not an and-both world. You're, You're told every day that you can be a Christian and be just like the world. And the Bible says, no, you can't. It's an either-or proposition. Either you are with Jesus or you're not with Jesus. And I don't say that because I think we're superior as Christians. I think the challenge for us is to take every thought captive to Christ. And one of the first thoughts that we need to take captive is, are we committed? Let Let me put it this way. Here's what the Bible says. There are two real conflicting kingdoms. There's the kingdom of God and the kingdom of this world. And and Jesus said that the king of this current world is Satan, and the kingdom of God is ruled by God. So there's an either-or proposition. You can't be a part of both kingdoms. Your loyalty must be declared to one. There's also two very clear and distinct entry points. There's a wide road that leads to destruction, Matthew 7, and there's a narrow gate leading to life. There's also two distinct personal conditions. You are made righteous by the blood of Jesus Christ, or you are dead in your sins. Notice that the Bible doesn't present an and-both philosophy. It presents an either-or set of circumstances. And the first psalm is interesting. The first song in the Jewish psaltery, or songbook. Now, this this would not have been bound up and presented in tabernacles, but this was the music that the the Hebrew people would sing to their God. So we're reading the very first. Uh, When they put the Psalms together, they chose this to be very first, and it begins by saying, blessed is. Let's read it again. Jamie read it earlier, but I'd like us to look at it one more time. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, or stand in the way of sinners, or sit in the seat of mockers. 
But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers, not so the wicked. They are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Blessed is the man. This is how the songbook begins. A statement of blessing. And the question that's being answered in the first psalm that I want us to think about today when we become awakened to an opportunity to live differently and not go back into the same routines, the mindless routines, is where do you find the path of blessing and who's on it? Where does this word blessing, what does it mean and where does it come from? So here's the challenge. The challenge to us in the first two verses is crystal clear. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord and on his law he meditates day and night. I want to stop for a moment and I want to tell you that in an either or world, the proposition of the scripture is you're for God or you're not. In that, choices matter. Where you place your life matters. Discernment and understanding the law of the Lord. But let's look at the word law. In our context, in American context, law means do's and don'ts. That's not what the law of the Lord means for the most part throughout Psalms. If I can correct, uh, if I can still count, there are 13 different terminologies for the word of God. Laws, statutes, precepts, commands. But they're, they're distinct in their terminology, but they're all talking about the ways of God. In, in the Psalms, they're talking about the ways of the Lord. If you thought of it that way, you would think it different when you would say, his delight is in the ways of the Lord, and in the ways of the Lord, he meditates day and night. Rather than just a God who commands, we have a God who suggests to us that there are certain ways to live in an either-or world. In the kingdom of heaven, there are certain ways to live. In the kingdom of the world, there are certain ways to live differently. In, in the path into the kingdom of heaven, it has to be lived a certain way, and the path out of the kingdom of heaven or toward the kingdom of man is lived another way. Nod your head if that makes just a little bit of sense this morning. I know we're still a little bit full. All right, I know it's early. You probably had turkey for breakfast. We'll move on. All right, there you are. Okay. So when we talk about choices, the word blessed does not mean that God's going to give you more. There's a Hebrew word for that. That's not the word used here. The Hebrew word here means a complete full life. Do you want a complete, full life? Not, not just full of the experiences of, <clears throat> of this world, but do you want the life that God intends for you? There's a blessing that God provides. First of all, what do we do? How do we live this out? Well, he tells us to avoid certain things. And he uses progressive language. To walk, to stand, and to sit. Now notice that that's the progression. That you begin by movement, followed by pausing, followed by completely stopping. I've taught this before, and it's not just my idea. You can see it throughout Scripture. If you take the writings after the Gospels, if you take the writings to the early churches, one of the most common, if not the most common description of being a disciple of Jesus is walking. It's used over and over in Scripture, that you're walking with Jesus. You're 
following Jesus. You're moving. Don't forget the progression we're talking about this morning. Because he says, the psalmist says, to receive the blessings of God, you must keep moving. The progression into sin, we start walking, yet we we start walking the way the world tells us to walk, and then we... stop walking and we stand for a while experiencing what the world offers us and before you know it we're sitting in the midst of those who make fun of the walkers and I'd like to add another one to it if I may then we just fall over dead lifeless no ambition no purpose and not what we were created to be the psalmist says we walk in the thoughts and counsel of the world And then we stand and we start performing the actions. And then we sit into the habits of those who make fun of the walkers. You see, and I know in a world today it's not convenient for us to use terms like wicked and righteous. How dare we say someone's path is wicked? How dare we say their hearts are evil? How dare we say that the works that they choose to do and the life that they choose to live is wrong? And you're probably right. None of us should say those things. But God can. And God has. And those who walk in the ways of the Lord will find blessing. And those who stop walking, sit and stand in the ways of the world, the Bible says they find death. The first three verses of this psalm are about the righteous one. The next two verses are about the ungodly. And the sixth verse is about both of them. And that's what I want us to look at today. The challenge of this text is that there, is, there are those that are made righteous and follow the ways of the Lord, and there are those that are unrighteous and follow the ways of the world. And we are cautioned here to follow the ways of the Lord. See, Christians are engaged in a battle for their minds and hearts. And to take every thought captive to the Lord is an important endeavor for every one of us. It's an either-or proposition. You cannot believe in the power of money, in the power of sex, in the power of fame, and in the power of power and walk in the ways of the Lord. The Bible says you can't. You can't serve two masters. You're serving whatever master you choose. And so today I want us to understand the blessings of choosing the ways of the Lord. So what are those blessings? Uh, They're they're found in verses 3 and 4. It's a rather fascinating passage when you break it down. We're just going to call it the blessings. And the first blessing is a life of substance. The author of the psalm says in verse 3, he is like a tree. The righteous one is like a tree. But not so the wicked. Verse 4, they are like the chaff. Now, I know this is a farming community or somewhat of a farming community. So probably 30 or 40% of our audience has worked on a farm and they understand what the chaff is. It's the, it's the little shell outside of the seed that you're after. And So let's, let's take it down to our world. It's a sunflower seed. You crack the shell, you spit the shell out, you eat the little kernel that you want inside of it. And those nasty little shells are all over everything. But when the wind comes and they dry out, it takes nothing to blow them away. They have no substance. They have no weight. They are absolutely dependent on their circumstances for wherever they're at. If the wind's blowing, they're gone. And if there's no wind, they're there. But they're not there for any choice they've made. It's just chaff. Unlike a tree. A tree has substance. A tree is there. The tree is is alive. And a tree is strong. So the psalmist uses some examples, and he says, well, the person who walks in the ways of the Lord is like a tree. It's been planted by God, and it has substance. The second thing he tells us about it is it has stability, that there is a blessing of stability in your life, not just substance. He goes on, he says, he's like a tree. The righteous is planted by streams of water. There's a source of life. 
Not so the wicked. They are like the chaff which the wind blows away. Once again, he's just drawing an everyday common expression to say when you walk in the ways of the Lord, you not only have substance to your life, but there's a stability. That you're being fed by God. God is providing you everything you need to prosper. He is putting you in a position to grow and to stay alive. This is why we take every thought captive for stability and strength and substance. And then there's a life of fruitfulness. Let's complete verses 3 and 4 by snapping all the pieces together. He is like a tree, substance, planted by streams of water, stability, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. And we're going to come back to that phrase in a moment. But not so the wicked. They are like chaff, not substantive, and the wind blows them away, no stability, and absolutely no fruit. So, a tree. Having lived in Michigan for 21 years, uh, what, I, what I didn't like about Michigan were the months of January through April. Because the snow and the freezing and the cold and the gray and the filthy snow that was plowed up on the sidewalks was just, it was so depressing. It was cold all the time. But when the snow, if it left, but when it left, sometime in mid-April, early May, the trees went off. Cherries, peaches, apples, grapes all over the place, strawberries, size of your head, amazing, blueberries, raspberries. See, what God said was, I know your life was horrible for four months. Here, I love my God. And there was all of this fruit and produce, and it was amazing. But you never went to the farmer's market or to the strawberry farmer in February going, dude, hook me up. Because he'd look at you and go, no, the, the plants aren't producing. The trees aren't producing cherries. The cherry festival in, in Traverse City, Michigan, which is massive, was held in July, not in April. Why? Because every tree has a season of dormancy. And in that dormancy, there's no expectation of fruit. But if that tree is alive, and if that tree has its roots into a water system that gives it its substance and stability, it will produce what? Jesus even said, a tree that does not produce fruit needs to be cut down and burned. What's my point? Here's my point. When you walk in the ways of the Lord, he will produce a fruit out of you. You don't have to produce it. Just don't fight it. If you're reading the fruits of the Spirit, you say, today I want to be more loving, and you're going out there, some of us will be like apple trees trying to produce a cherry. You've tried and tried and tried to be loving, to have self-control, to kindness, gentleness. You've tried to do all of those things on your own. And the reason you're not fruitful season and season and season is because you're not letting God do the work in you that the tree must let God do. A cherry tree will produce cherries because they're designed by God to do that. Now, the fruit of the Spirit will pour out of all of us in God's time. So don't get down on yourself if you're in a season of dormancy. But ask yourself, are my roots in the water? Am I letting God give me what he wants to give me to grow me? Nod your head if that makes sense. Fruitfulness is not how hard we try. Fruitfulness is in how much we trust. And so the tree planted by the streams of water is getting what God needs to get it in its perfect season. And yes, there will be seasons in your life when things aren't coming the way that you want them to, and there will be seasons where it just seems like it's winter, and that's okay. Spring is on its way, and summer will produce its fruit, and there will be a great celebration in the harvest. This is how God's designed us. 
What he's saying is, when he says, and whatever he does prospers, it doesn't mean that everything will work out perfectly. That's not what that passage or expression means. What the author of the psalm is saying, that God will bring out of you what he's designed to bring out of you. And he will get what he wants if you open yourself up to what he's bringing you. So today, let's talk about the deepening. If that's the challenge and the blessing, then how do we open our lives up to this? This is where I want us to awaken. And instead of going back and saying it's Monday and it's back to the work and it's back to this and I'm just going to plow through until that next major holiday, don't. Now's the time to reset, to reimagine what your Monday could look like if you reauthored it. So what is the deepening? The psaltery or prayer songs were assembled for a purpose. They talk about the truth of God's word and God's will. And it is a prayer book. Uh, Let me explain it this way. Dr. Timothy Keller recently in a book on prayer identified two kinds of prayers. And I appreciated this. I'm going to reword it a little bit uh, for my own sake. And hopefully uh, you'll see what I saw. He said there are the calling prayers. And we all know what those calling prayers are, right? God help. God, could I have this? God, could you help my friend get healthy? God, could you help me sell my business or would you help me buy this business or would you help my son or daughter make a college choice or would you help there to be love in our home? We know, nod your heads if you've done the calling prayer. That comes natural, right? Even the people who say they don't believe in God in the the moments of a crisis will often call out a prayer to God. But what Keller says the Psalms are for is to teach us responsive prayers, And this is where we let the word of God draw out of us a prayer, obviously, of response. Let me tell you what they look like. It's like the amen prayers. When you read a passage of scripture, and in your experience, you know it's true, and your response when reading that is, amen. And you know what the word amen means? It means truth. So you read that, and you go, truth. I'm going to testify right now. God ain't playing. That's what he meant. That's what he said. That's true. And then there are the oh my prayers where you read a passage and you realize for the first time what God's really saying and you go, oh, oh my, uh, I, I, I need to, I'll be back, Lord. I gotta get on that. And that's a prayer you offer God that moment. Go, I don't live that. I need to live that, oh my. And then there are the, I better stop that prayer. You ever had those? Read a passage of scripture and God says, if you, I'll smite. And you go, I don't wanna be smitten. Uh, God, I'm done, I'm sorry. I sh- I've done that my whole life. God says, watch your words. And you're like, I never watch my, I, oh my. I need to watch my words. I'm sorry. And then there are the, I love that prayers. This is where a passage, it says, the skies are going to unroll and Jesus is going to appear and every knee will bow. Amen. Bring it. Father, I love that prayer. And then there are the thanks prayers and the need prayers and the fear prayers. You see, what we do when we open the scriptures, when we meditate like the blessed person does, when we feed ourselves the good word, We're opening our spirits up, and we meditate on that. We think about it. We process it. We pray through it. We read a passage of Scripture. I'm here to tell you, every Scripture you read will give you a reason to pray. A prayer to change, a prayer to grow, a prayer to accept, a prayer to receive. It's found throughout all of it. When when the Bible says something wonderful about God, I can adore and praise Him in that. When the passage tells me of a convicting moment in my life, I can confess that sin. When the Bible tells me something exciting that's a promise of God to those who believe in him, I can receive that and open my heart to it and celebrate it as a word to others as well. You see, if we only seek God when we know what we want him to do for us, 
we will never open ourselves to what he wants to do with us. I want to say that again. If we only pray to God when we want to tell him what he can do for us, we're missing out the best part of prayer, where God reveals through his word what he wants to do with us, what he wants to help us become. You see, do you know your soul speaks to you? Some of you are like, what? Do you know that your soul is telling you certain things? The Bible tells us that we can have conversations with our soul. Psalm 42, 5. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? I remember singing that at church camp when I was a kid. Why so down, my soul? Put your trust in God. Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all of his benefits. He forgives your sins. He heals your diseases. He crowns you with love and kindness. You see, he's having a conversation with his own soul. He's saying, soul, why are you bummed out? Is there anybody else in the room who's ever been awakened and you go through about three hours of your day and you have this self-conversation? Why are you so grumpy? Have you walked down at work or at school and you go by someone and they're looking at you and you're like, what's wrong with you? And you're talking to yourself. Anybody but me? Am I the only nut in the place? All right, okay. Wives are looking at husbands. All right, so fair enough. You see, you can have that. Here's your stomach talked to you this week. You had a conversation with your stomach. Your stomach said to you, really? At 49, you're going to eat like that. You send all this stuff to me this week that you haven't eaten for an entire year, and you wonder why I won't let you sleep. How many of you had that conversation with your stomach? How many of you had a conversation with your muscles? You haven't worked out since you were 16, and you're not 16 anymore. So you decide you're going to move three cords of wood in an hour without any help or wheelbarrow, and then you lay down at night, and your muscles go, seriously, for 11 months, you've done nothing, and now you act like you're 15 years old again. You're going to pay. Your body speaks, doesn't it? Do you know your soul speaks too? Your soul says, why, why are you putting this in me? It's It's garbage. I don't know what to do with this. At the age of 35, I went to my doctor, and he said, you need to lose weight. And I said, I am paying for this. And uh, he said, what you're doing is, he said, what are you eating? And I told him what I was eating. And he said, you're eating all of this food that your body doesn't know what to do with. And your body takes it and stores it and makes these little fat pockets on your side because they're like, maybe one day we'll need that, but I don't know what that is. (laughs) It's like the equivalent for Christmas for most of us. You're like, oh, nice. I have no idea how to use this. And he said, if you start putting stuff in your body that your body knows what to do with, natural foods for the most part, your body will go, oh, done, that's protein, and and I need that, carbohydrates. You guys are with me, right? Do you know what your soul's telling you? Give me something I can work with. Give me something I was created for. That's why we talk about worldview. Not to fill your mind with nonsense and lies and myths, but to open the word of God and to pray through the word of God and say, God, I need this. I want this. Feed your soul. Why so downcast, O my soul? Put your trust in God. You see, meditation is learning to listen to the word of God, to pray the word of God. That's why when you see prayer and scripture go hand in hand. You don't do one over the other or one without the other. If you're reading the Bible and it's not leading you to pray, you're not understanding the scriptures. And I know some of you, and hold on, some of you are discouraged. You tried every reading plan. You, you dedicated to, to pour yourself to read the Bible every day, and you feel empty because you're not praying it. You're not reading it to listen. When it just is words in an old book, it won't change your soul. When it become words of the author to the one he created, 
it'll awaken you to life. And so don't be discouraged that you've had past failures. Learn from those and proceed. Because the psalmist says, his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in the ways of the Lord, he meditates day and night. It's, it's a discipline. It won't come easy. It's reading the word and saying, if this is true, how would I live? If this is true, how should I feel? If this is true, what now? When you pray through scripture that way, it's less closing your eyes, bowing your head, folding your hands, and having a 15-minute silence fest. It's absolutely praying and reading, praying and responding, praying and writing. It's this interactive experience where the Holy Spirit will speak and show you things and speak to you. And you may not hear an audible voice, but the Word of God is living and active. And if you let it speak and you'll pray through it, it will bring life. So don't rush. Relish. Don't be in a hurry. If any of you went home right now and your spouse said, we need to talk, and you said, okay, I'm going to give you 15 minutes at 6 a.m. tomorrow before I take my shower, that's not going to go well. So don't say to God, I'm going to give you 15 minutes before I take my shower in the morning, and I hope you tell me something. No, no, God is God, and he deserves our attention. Give him the best 15, 20. In fact, don't count. Give him the best slice of your day and see if he doesn't show up. And open yourself, because blessed is the man or woman who meditates on the ways of God day and night. So how do we live this out? Uh, Hebrews 10.7 quotes, not this convoluted, listen to me though. Hebrews 10.7 is quoting Psalm 40. And the author of Hebrews says, I delight to do thy will, O Lord, thy law is in my heart. A delight, a challenge, a meditation. Jesus meditated on the word of God. Mark chapter 1 tells us he did it in the morning. Luke chapter 6 says he did it in the evenings. Jesus didn't have a specific set time. But day and night, he focused on the word of God. He thought everything out. He lived everything out. I mean, let's be honest. That's tough in our culture today. The different messages we get. The amount of information that's poured on us. From what we read on Twitter or on Facebook. And then we go online. And then we get the news. And we're listening to the radio. And we're at work. And we're getting information. And and we go from thought to thought to thought. And we think we're multitasking and processing. But we're not thinking. We should go back to the days just for the short period of time. Where we silence all the unnecessary noise. I know I've joked about this. But the older I get, the more clicking and Humming and noise that doesn't need to be sends me. I become my dad. It's like, silence! You think, he's lost his mind. But I I cherish silence. I've learned this amazing thing. The radio in the car goes off. I didn't know that. You can turn it off and it stays off. And I can drive for 20 or 30 miles just thinking, man, my soul's got some things to tell me. And I challenge you, as we go into Advent, Some of you have never been through Advent, and we don't say it's superior. I grew up in a Polish Catholic town. Every church had Advent. So here's the good news. You'll survive. I know it's it's for some of you, it's new. It's okay. The church has been doing this for thousands of years for a reason. Because we're not trying to give you more information. We're trying to help you slow down to process what you've already gotten. To just enjoy it. To just listen. Without all the flash and noise and next and next and next, but to breathe deeply and to meditate, just like Jesus did. A woman came to Jesus in in John chapter 4, 
And she came to a well in the middle of the afternoon. Many of you know the story well. But she came and Jesus said, would you give me something to drink? And she said, why are you a Jewish man talking to me, a Samaritan woman? And he said, if you gave me a drink, I would give you living water and you would thirst no more. And she said to him, I'm thirsty, give me that water. And Jesus said, I am. It's one of the statements in John where Jesus identified himself as God. He used the same term that God used with Moses when he said, just tell him I am sent you. He said, I am the water. And he gave her that water to drink, and her soul was satisfied. You see, there are things that we're giving our souls and our minds and our bodies that our bodies and minds weren't created to accept, and we don't know what to do with it, so we store it. And it makes us sluggish and feel horrible. But the good news is, when we drink of the water Jesus gave us, we're satisfied, we're replenished, we're refreshed, we're given life and energy. And Jesus said, I will give you this. And she drank from that, and she found life. And then later, Jesus was taken to a cross, and he was placed on that cross for that woman's sins and every one of our sins. And what words did he cry out on the cross that day? I thirst. Why? Because he gave all that we needed, and it cost him everything to give it to us. Do you see the symbolism here? You're hungry, you're thirsty, you're lonely, you're scared. You don't know what's coming next. You're frightened. And I understand it because the world is making promises and you know in your soul that this isn't what I'm made for. This isn't fixing me. I've tried it and I'm still empty. I've tried it and I'm broken. I've tried it and I'm ashamed. And I'm here to tell you that when you drink from what Jesus offers you or you eat his flesh and drink his blood, he is providing you everything. He is setting your roots deep by, by flowing waters that will not dry up. And when the storms come on the tree, the tree doesn't worry about moving. The, the, the branches may sway and the leaves may blow away, but the tree's strength is found in its security in the ground and all that God's given it. Are you a tree or are the circumstances of life blowing you away? Because it reveals something. Blessed is the one who does not walk, stand, or sit in the ways of the world but instead meditates day and night on the either-or kingdom of God, a kingdom where you're welcomed in, where every thirst and every hunger you'll ever have is found in Jesus Christ. So, what are we to do with all this? Go read your Bibles? That's too simple. Go let your Bible read you. Open the word. Pray, pray the amen prayer. Pray the I don't know what to do next prayer. Talk to God about the living word of God. Instead of having a, a devotional reading and a five minute God give me this prayer, let us reset ourselves as we begin this Advent. Let's open our minds to the awakening. As we wait on the Lord, what has he said? How should we live? Try it. Try it as a discipline. Give yourself two weeks of just opening the word of God and speaking back to him. God, I don't understand what that means. Would you show me what that means? God, I don't understand how to live that out. Or God, I know I'm supposed to do this. Give me strength. That is what God's been looking for. A conversation with you from the day you were born. I thirst. Jesus said, I'll satisfy your thirst. How? Jesus said, I am. I'm your thirst. I'm your hunger. I'm your, f I'm going to want to help you overcome your fear. I'm your strength. I'm your stability. I'm what gives you life. 
as we look to the return of our King, we can celebrate the fact that He came to meet our every need and planted us like a tree beside water, that when life happens, we are strong, we are safe, and we will produce a fruit of His work in our life. This morning, for some of you, uh, you're in a spot where this is hard to believe. Life is hard and life is all over you. My challenge for you is when, when you leave this room, you may have to go get your children or whatever, but when you go out these doors to your left, you'll see me and a couple of our elders and some of our response team members standing out by the prayer table. Now, some will come and simply write something that you want us to pray with you about, and we were happy to do that. Some of you would like us to pray with you right there, and we're out there for that. But when, when thousands of people gather in this room on a Sunday morning, it's hard for me to believe that there are not more souls crying out for God to speak to them in prayer. If that's you today, come see us. Because we want to join you in the most powerful gift God's given us. His word and the power of our prayers for God to bring out to you blessing, fullness, depth, stability, substance, life. Let's stand together. Thank you for listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Christ Church of Orinoco. For more information about these sermons or about Christ Church in general, visit us online at ccochurch.com.